welcome to Try Not to Blink. Today's show is going to highlight differences between US and Canada regarding product availability. We're going to give an update from our podcast original sweetheart, Roya, in a much-requested discussion about her epic Costa Rican journey. And finally, we're gonna talk about Jimmy. Like having a, a strong community really is better for your life and better for your longevity because that sense of community is important. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the incredible custom stable sclera lens. I'm your solo hostess, Sheila Morrison, and joining me is our very own Dr. Roya Habibi. Let's do this. Let's do it. Welcome, welcome to your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I like it though. You're this leading us today, Sheila. This, I know. I love it. It's a new twist. Well, You're flipping the I script. Mean, it's it's always good to switch things up a little bit, and this is a highly requested show. To be honest, I mean, I think you've had a lot of people approaching you about you know digitally, and whenever you see anybody, I can only imagine you know. Um, at the academy meeting, how many questions that you had and how many times you may have had to tell some of the same answers, you know, but before we get to that, this week is U.S. Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I thought it might be kind of fun to talk a little bit about some of those differences. So U.S. versus Canadian Thanksgiving. Canadian Thanksgiving's like a month ago or something, right? A long time ago now. Yeah. 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 And you know, when I was in school in the States, it was always really fun because there were so many Canadians at Pacific and a lot of the American colleges, in fact, majority of Canadians actually go to school in the States. I don't know if you knew that because in Canada, we there's only, only one have, school, right? Well, there's actually two. So there's one in Montreal, but it's all French. Oh, right, right. French. So the pool's not as big there. And then the, and of course, Waterloo, excellent school, but there's really, they only have so many seats and Canada's a big country. So majority of Canadians actually end up in the States. And I would say most of the schools, Pacific definitely makes a big, huge, I think it's any excuse to party when you're a student, you know, they would celebrate twice and all the Americans would celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving, everybody. We'd even have an event at the school and, Um. you know, and then a month later, American Thanksgiving. So, you know, I mean, are, are they the same holiday? I don't even really know. Okay. What do Americans celebrate? I thought, and I have a friend who is from Canada here that I recently saw, and we like kind of celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving down in Costa Rica. But I was like, what is Canadian, like, isn't Thanksgiving a U.S. holiday? Like, is this, are you guys just copying? And she, as a joke, said, yeah, like, we just copy everything the U.S. does, but like call it our own and make our own date. But I just Googled this. American Thanksgiving, or the first Thanksgiving was celebrated by the pilgrims after their first harvest in the New World, October 1621. But Canadian Thanksgiving, according to Google, the first Canadian Thanksgiving was reportedly hosted in 1578. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. maybe Americans Americans just take the credit. They just stole the idea and took the credit. I know. Let's let the truth out. But it is a good excuse. I mean, we, you know, it's essentially from being able to celebrate both for many years. And um, when I was, you know, in school and also then working in the States as well. Which for is better. many years. Um, to be, I always had a, I always enjoyed Canadian Thanksgiving. There's something nostalgic about it for me. Um, is it the same food uh, and the same tradition? The celebration's no? the same. It's the same. Everyone cooks a turkey and is merry, you know. 
um, <laughs> any excuse to kind of get together and families get together. And then there's, you know, time off of school and work and whatever else. So I would say the experience of Thanksgiving is, is about the same in both countries, to be honest. But my family is a very big celebrator. We like to do, we have large get togethers. So maybe it's very American style in that. Everybody in the States has a huge shebang, um, and we certainly did as well in Canada. Love it. Well, I guess, too, I just am like reading more of these Google tips, and it says that Thanksgiving in general is just celebrating the harvest and blessing the past year. So it's not necessarily like, you know, like country oriented, right? It's just celebrating your harvest, getting ready for the the cold and yeah. Gathering. Well, it definitely got us ready for the cold here. Well, you know that we have snow in Calgary, right? Did we? I did I tell you that? Yes. It's not even Halloween yet. And it's some years where we get lucky and we don't actually have a lot of cold weather right before um, Halloween, but more times than not, we do. So yes, we definitely, between the two Thanksgivings, blessed Canada to have our cold weather season coming in. So very different in Costa Rica. Miss totally. Roya. Totally. Crazy over there. Big difference. I should come out there soon and warm up a little bit. 100%. Number one. <laughs> number two, the one thing, like, living through a year now of living in Costa Rica, the thing that is like a little sad to me is it doesn't feel like the holiday season, right? Like I've lived across the United States. I've lived where there are seasons and where there isn't. But in Costa Rica, there is basically one season and it's hot all the time. There technically is two. There's rainy season and not. But rainy season just means that it rains occasionally. That doesn't, it's not really that much different. Um, so it doesn't feel like, uh, like Thanksgiving Day, obvious, people, a lot of people are from the US and Canada. So there is definitely like a, you can see things about Thanksgiving. Um, but there's no, like, I went and watched the sunset and I was sweating in my scrubs, right? Like I just, it just wasn't, um, the same and it's not cold and even Christmas is not and it just doesn't feel like as you normally get closer to those holidays it's just chilly and there's just like a lot of normal things that come up or you see a lot of Christmas trees and things like that but here it's just different you know that is one thing I always loved about getting back to Canada honestly throughout any time whether it was you know western U.S. or southern U.S. and Texas is you're right, the seasons, it's just there's something about it. There's we get the fall season. And now since I've been back home now, it's actually coming, it's closer to 10 years than five years now I've been back in Canada. Time flies. But it's really kind of a cool, again, traditional nostalgic changing into sweater weather. And then even our coffee choices change with the seasons and we really get to celebrate that. So that's a lot of fun. So yeah, you'll have to choices. visit here in the winters. It does. It changes. You go from iced coffees and then all of a sudden it's all about the pumpkin spice. Then you move into some kind of peppermint sort of thing. And it's, we really do have that separation, which I've, I mean, I grew up like that. So I love it. Feels like, home, you know, yeah, I did get a love it too. When you visit. Down here the other day. So I oh. felt like I'm embracing fall, even though yeah. it ain't quite fall here, but yeah. But Anyways, let's advantages. talk other. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to be in a bathing suit every day of the year, so I, I can't complain. Yeah, let's talk other, good. <laughs> let's, let's talk other differences between my uh Canada and the US cuz I feel like I never really noticed it um until even just this past academy actually one of the presentations I gave highlighted difference but let's talk about contact lens stuff the difference in contact lens stuff between the US and Canada so let's just some, talk as simple as soft contact lenses are all brands available in now that you've worked in both, Sheila? Are all brands of soft contact lenses available in Canada? 
Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, with soft lenses. It's been pretty good. And in, in fact, it's not really one country is not always ahead of the other. You know, there's a few lenses that we had, say, in the myopia control arenas, which we can talk about a little bit specifically that, you know, Canada actually had first. So like my site, et cetera, had we had it for a couple of years before Americans had it. Yeah. Um, which is opposite of, you know, say ability, um, where, you know, Americans had it first. So we're just actually doing, I'll be heading in to do training on the new ability ortho K lens, um, you know, this afternoon, whereas Americans have already had it for a while. So contact lens, I would say is very similar. There's not really anything, um, that I'm aware of that I can't have access to. The one thing though, that is different, I would say, um, from what I hear is this back order problem that we've been having. So, in the last couple of years, I think post COVID, not just contact lenses, but also solutions. I know there were back orders in the States too, but they're probably more severe in Canada where I would have patients like literally taking extra carry on luggage or extra checked luggage bags when they traveled to the US empty so that they could stock up on solutions like clear care for a while. It was pretty, pretty crazy. But yeah. it was back ordered for how long? It went on and on for like more than six months, like really, really six terrible. Six months? And then we would get it more, it's honestly probably more that closer to a year where they would kind of come into stock a little bit in some places. So there were some like box chains that would suddenly reportedly, I'd have patients say, oh, there's clear care over at shoppers down the street. And we would, everyone would rush over there. It's like the toilet paper thing during COVID <laughs> and rip it off the shelves. And it was like a craziness. And uh, so our office is pretty lucky. I mean, we did get first dibs, but even for us, we had a hard time getting our solutions because we go through it so fast. And then they kind of rotate around. So there are some soft lenses now that we've had trouble with, including actually a really sad one is Infinifakia. And so I don't know what the status is in the States. Um, I'm guessing it may or may not be similar, but probably not quite as bad because manufacturing, you know, happens over there and that we, we sometimes have had waits of about to of up to eight weeks for um, a set of lenses for a, a, a fake infant. So we've had Which to do brand things creatively. Which brand do you usually order from? That was Silsoft. So yeah, they're doing Soft. everything they can. Um, so we've been working, actually, it's been fun doing custom soft designs for babies. So we've had to, had no choice. And then of course, hard lenses come in a lot faster still, which we're big on as well at our office. So yeah, it's been challenging. And I don't recall any of this happening pre-COVID. There were, were no back orders. I don't, don't remember waiting for anything. The one thing that's always been different when it comes to solutions is availability. So yeah. Roya, I don't know what you have in Costa Rica, which I'm interested in, but we have probably about a third of the contact lens solutions available to us in Canada compared to Americans for our specialty products. What? Yeah. So we're really, we're, we're quite a lot more limited in Canada to what we can get. And so that's always a little bit challenging because as you know, a big part of the challenge in a successful specialty lens practice is solution use and misuse. I mean, if one thing's not working properly, sometimes it's a bit of a trial and error. You have to try different things when there aren't different things to try. It's, it's harder to mitigate things like, you know, non-wedding and maybe some patients that their tears a don't particularly like a certain solution. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so sometimes we have to look at other things like, you know, our patients, it's other ways to mitigate those types of complications. Well, tell me too, how do you feel about like prescribing a solution? Not to like go too off tangent here, but like, do you always prescribe a particular weddings or like filling solution, for instance, or cleaning solution? Or do I you kind of give patients options and let them sort of go with it a little while and maybe no. modify? I prescribe. Um, it's just, it's a lot easier than I know, you know, you... I absolutely prescribe to make sure that they're, that I understand exactly what it is that they're using. Um, it, it saves us from them 
also not taking it seriously enough when I, I say something has to be preservative free, for example, you give people a bunch of choices. They think that they can also go maybe to the pharmacy and find something that looks reasonably similar when they run out, something closer to home. And um, of course, we all know that that's where patients can go from filling a scleral with preservative free saline to filling it with like OptiFree or something like that. Yeah. And so I prescribe. And another reason that we do that is we keep it controlled to where what we're, what we're recommending, we also carry in the practice. So that's a practice building. So number one, better for patients. Number two, better for our practice where we have the revenue and the control over what patients are using with their specialty lens products and regular lenses too. Okay. What about you? Do you prescribe? I, I do prescribe, I would say, but I mean, honestly, like just to be frank about it for application solution for specifically, I usually prescribe Adipac, right? Like I know that there are other ones that are FDA approved, Lacropur, Sclerophyll, Neutrophil in the US at least are, are approved. And I'm not saying that I don't like those solutions. In fact, I really do. There's a lot of reasons to say that they are better potentially, but how much better? And for most people, is that better necessary? What do you think? I mean, I don't know. Oh, I would love to have a bit again. I don't have access to all of those products in Canada. So we really are limited to just the Adipac plus one more. So we usually start with Adipac because it's a good price and most patients do just fine with that. There are a few though that their tier chemistry, I find it is better suited with a different type of solution to fill the lens depending. But again, for us, it's a trial and error. I'll even actually patients that I'm really struggling with something fogging or something that I'm and there are differences. Say they try Adipac and they try another filling solution. I'm by all means, like if you have access to one of these other solutions on this list that are approved for use and they're, you know, preservative free saline, essentially they can try them. And there's a few people that I, there are differences with the filling solutions for some patients. Um, you know, when it comes like to what is something okay. where you're like knowing that a scleral, like sometimes I feel like people are just like messing with all the different solutions and it's not a solution problem. Like when are you yeah. like, Oh, this is definitely a solution problem. Like obviously we know if they're staining across the cornea, that's probably toxicity. something related to, mm-hmm. yeah, toxicity, that's an easy one. But when if there's not yeah. really toxicity and when are you like, oh, this is an easy fix with just changing or your this solution? This is definitely better. So the only way that I know, and I still, there's so many factors that go into contact lens success um, and even things like inflammation and fogging are impacted by other things in the body. And that's going to change. So somebody, even sleep, nutrition that all impacts our ocular surface and things like fogging can be impacted by that too. And so it's really, it is difficult to measure, but the best way that I know is to say if, you know, if we're going to try something new, only change one thing and change it for enough of a period of time that we can actually see if that change is different. And that's what I go off of. So if I'm hitting a wall with a certain solution of, you know, fit is good, say for example, and I'm getting still sensitivity or in particular fogging, when everything else is fine, I will try sometimes, you know, a thicker filling solution in the reservoir or uh, play around with the solutions where it's more of like a trial and error for what is particularly best with a patient's tier chemistry. And I do believe that makes a difference for, for some patients. Absolutely. But I don't change a bunch of things at the same time because otherwise you don't really know what change you're making helps that patient. If it's worth it, you know, was it, was it the solution or was it, you know, this yep. fit change that you just made, you know? 100%. So yeah. that's our scleral lens pearl of the day. If you're going to make a change, make one step at a time, one change at a time. Yeah. Once we get to that kind of close to where we're fine tuning or there's, you know, when it gets toward the latter half of the fit, definitely. And we're running into issue. uh, I would try to to like figure if you're struggling, do one change at a time. So you know exactly what is what your what your change does. Yes. And what change helps and what change doesn't help. 
Love that. Um, one other thing that is a difference in in products in U.S. and Canada is the myopia control spectacles. I think we've already touched on this a little bit in the past recordings, but I, again, highlighted some of the new myopia control glasses that have been on the market for years in Canada. So you have Hoya's product, you have, you know, Essilor's product, you have Cooper Vision, you know, you have so many options in the U.S., nothing yet. Allegedly, the Myo Smart Lens is going to be available soon, but it's still not, like you still can't order it. So tell us a little about, like... How long have you even had a myopia control glasses option? Years. I mean, I, it's been more than five years. And five years? Funny. I've been on. I was what on was the first one? Board. Um, it would have been the Hoya lens. Yeah. So it's been the, over five years. Dimmed. It's been around for a long time. And so in Canada, yeah. And so we, it's funny, I was on an ad board at like, honestly, three, two, three years ago, just invited personally to talk about how does, how do spectacles fit into your practice to, and is a bunch of Americans I was talking with. And I actually was surprised. I didn't know at the time that Canadian Americans didn't have this option because it is such a staple tool in the myopia control clinic. I really, it just blows my mind of how many kids like, so that means that kids in the States that don't wear contacts are in single vision and atropine. And that's, that's really just such like a narrow treatment strategy. You know, I know you're in there at, at Academy and I was in majority of your lecture Excellent lecture, by the way. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you. And it's very, very popular lecture at Academy now that year in review. It's so cool. But it's just, I, I'm like, what? Some of this stuff is totally out of date for Canada because one of the lectures I was part of was with um, Andrea Lasby and Aliyah Capilani. And we presented a rapid fire of advanced cases. You know, forget the basics. Like everyone knows the basics in myopia control now. And so it was a, it was a you know, case series. And spectacles are woven into all of these, not just for the simple cases of throw them in glasses. You know, it's a solution that we reach for in so many different cases as a tool, part of the management, the full management. So yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to better access in the States. It's kind of the way I feel about, and I'm to flip it, I'm super jealous of what Americans have access to for prosthetic context too. So myopia control, I would argue Canadians are winning the the race. Definitely. Years in Canada ahead. for for painted lenses so or for, you know, iris occlusive soft lenses, for example, we are so limited. And I believe is Co- Costa Rica is probably similar. Um, do you have prosthetics, Raya? Oh, my gosh. So we do have access through one uh, distributor for um, basically everything you don't have. So we have we actually I can actually prosthetics for some reason is one thing that is very available here. Oh. It takes forever. Well, it takes just you. as long look as it takes you. for you. I know. I don't want to okay. brag because I will say like not to detangent too far, but Costa Rica is dramatically behind. I think because it's just a small country that a lot of con- uh, bigger companies just, it's, maybe it's just not worth it to yeah. to cross into the country and do all the paperwork to get their their lenses. I feel that. Legally. We get that. We get that from some, like not infrequently in Canada too, even though but we are Canada big, but compared huge. to the States. But population-wise, compared to no, the no. for the size of the land and the the population in Asia and in uh, you know course, Europe and in the United States, the density is so much higher. So I always hold that white that flag, and I'm like, hey, hey, like Canadians matter. Like, can we please get prosthetics? <laughs> we have one vendor that's the UK one, and so and it's you know so we have the one option, and it is time consuming. It's difficult with you know warranted change things. There's there are some challenges just being in a completely different part of the world and. 
we used to be able to get better products from the states that have been haven't made the cut for the border yet. So, yeah, I, I put my if anyone is out there has any extra time to write letters, help me like do something. Let's get these products back in Canada because we have a huge need. I think too that like I I like need to tell my former self to like be a little more patient on a two week turnaround time because yeah. once you live in the U S and leave, or if you live in an international, like a, let's call it international, anything, not U S for a moment, crossing borders and like approval. And honestly, like how much you pay for customs and import is something that is just a whole extra layer of cost as a business owner that you don't think about when you're in the U S. So I pay like 30% tax on an imported scleral lens, for instance, that's just the import tax, let alone my costs and all of that. So it's just a huge time shift, let alone like shipping time. Because yeah. what would take like in the U.S., I lived in Seattle. I could get a custom stable lens in two days, sometimes one versus here. It would like I can't order from Valley yet because there's no Valley is not approved in Costa Rica. And I like any scleral lens takes closer to five or six weeks. And that just is sad. And I don't get the same, the same like warranty period that you usually get in Costa Rica because we're going through like, again, distributors, we have their warranty policy, which is usually one remake. And it's just like, I mean, granted, hopefully it doesn't take more than one remake. And usually on average it doesn't, but it's still like, you still have trouble cases where you need more or you just that's want to good, find that, that power or you want to find that. That's a good stat, Roya. One, that's, I am, well, I mean, it is Roya. I mean, you well, are not, not very always. Talented, but like, I'm just yeah. saying like, I think that it's important to be thankful. I can say that now. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, let's be thankful of what, <laughs> what can we I have. Can I throw something out there to share yes. with you about what Tell parenting me. is like today in yes. this crazy world? Yes. So it just trigger. I'm like, you know what I'm dealing with yesterday what? is children who have never seen the world without being able to order online and get things and get them now. It's scary because... You know, I was reading this like how to be a good parent blog or something like that. And what you're supposed to do is encourage people to be with those feelings of like that really like excitement and like anxiety over like, is it here yet? Is it here yet? Why is it taking so long? But she'll ask why my daughter asks why something that she ordered, she ordered, you know, she knows, you know, where do things come from? Online ordering. Like, and that's because she was just becoming of the age to have memories during the end of COVID. And this is, this is what the world where it went. And she will be like super like unsure and disappointed of like, well, why doesn't it come later today? Like, how can somebody physically like ordering this toy or whatever it is that you, we needed for whatever case, how can it come that fast? Like it's not the world, but that's the world that they live in. And it scares me a little bit because that instant gratification. Now you're on the other side of that where as an adult, I mean, I, I would assume that there's some growing pains in even getting, you know, personal things right into the country. It sounds oh, yeah. like it's a totally different world, but it's kind of a nice world. It's like that pace maybe is actually good for your brain. Unlike the anxiety driven children that are like, where's my stuff? I need it now. And I don't I understand why delivery can't bring it to me right now. No, it's like on one hand, living in Costa Rica, that's been sort of like a positive. Like I have a list of things that I want to buy at Target the next time back in the US and it's ongoing. Or I have an Amazon, 
you know, my basket is full. And every time I think of something, I'll put it in my basket, but I can't really order it unless I want to well, pay there's no impulsive tax. buying. You're probably doing it's better far with that. less like, impulsive. I know. And so I don't like it either. The- it's actually when people ask me, what's the worst part about living there? I'm going to be transparent as that I can't impu- impulsively order. Or if I want something, I have to be very, you know, I have to think ahead to be able to get it. And so versus in the US, you really don't have to think ahead anymore. But the, um, I guess it's good and bad, right? Because I definitely spend less money and I have to be, I have to be more for, for, I have to have more foresight. So. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I know we're both still reeling from the Academy just because it's, this is what happens after such a busy conference. I mean, for me, it's like Vision Expo Academy. And then I was telling you last week or a couple weeks ago on that, you know, right after our Alberta meeting, all these meetings happen at this time of year and it's been very busy. Um, and kind of just in that recovery mode, I got to bring up the, the little, the baby elephant in the room. So something (laughs) I know that I had some questions, like, why are you there and Jimmy's not in the podcast for you're like, what? It's confused. Like what, what happened to Jimmy? Clearly something people are surely still wondering. Of course. I mean, Ag Academy, of course, people were asking and all of our listeners who've been there with us since the beginning know how much work we've talked about this podcast being. Sheila, you're getting a little insight of that now. And and back with Jimmy, I teased him a lot, even on 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 the show about his his uh, curse of overcommitment and. I think finally he decided to trim up his workload a little, focus his powers on what he really felt he was most, you know, that he loved the most, brought him the most passion, and he realized the podcast chapter for him had come to an end. Uh, but he put a nice little farewell video on his Facebook, so go check it out. Also, I saw a fun thing on Facebook that him and his wife, Jill, announced their fourth pregnancy, which is super sweet over Halloween. So I'm excited for their growing family. Um, but yeah, that's it's a good, it was a great chapter. We miss him. Well, you know, if, if anyone out there wants him back on to do a farewell show, be sure to send him a DM on Instagram or Facebook, as I'm sure all of the Try Not to Blink family would absolutely enjoy a life update from Jimmy. Yes. Amen. So, and congratulations, Jimmy. So fun Woo-hoo. on the growing family. Ow, ow, more little tiny humans in the Ike family. So that's really exciting yeah. news. Yeah, beautiful family. Fatherhood, super enthusiastically, and is a really good testament to being a good dad and family man. And yeah, it's great. Well, let's switch gears to another fabulous human. So let's talk about our our main event today. So this is our very own. Raya Habibi. So um, I want to, I know it's, you spend so much time introducing others and teaching us about where people came from and really empowering people on the show, including myself in the past of how to really be able to share ideas and helping, helping the interviewees sound great. So I'm going to kind of, yeah. So we appreciate you, Roya. And I've had, I know you've had a lot of questions. I can only imagine at Academy how many people came up to you who hadn't seen you for about a year or two or something like that, where you're having to kind of hash out, well, some of these common questions or maybe kind of have great discussions about your path because it was kind of a wild thing that you did. So I'm going to just introduce a little bit to those of you that don't know Roya's background. So she grew up in Virginia, um, and her undergrad institution was Clemson University. Now, mm-hmm. Roya, I did have a rumor at one point. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, said go exactly. Tigers. Yeah, yeah. Go Tigers, go. And I heard a rumor that at one point you wanted to pursue medical school, um, mm-hmm. but then something happened along the way. You switched gears and decided that optometry was where it's at. 
Um, you've done, Roya is a, an absolute beast in the world of optometry, especially contact lenses, dry eye. Um, she did a fellowship, uh, after her optometry degree from Berkeley, did a fellowship in medical contact lenses at the KCI Institute with Derek Louie. Um, that's in Oregon. Um, and then in her early career, Dr. Habibi went right out there, just right off out of the gate and founded this new program and served as the director of the Center for Eye Comfort at the highly respected Eye Associates Northwest, Northwest in Seattle. Now, I've always really been interested in this part of Roya's um, kind of professional career because it's a very good example of ODMD collaboration. Where in Canada, for example, it's been a little bit slower out of the gate to get that collaboration. I think that you did a really wonderful job, probably one of the best in the States, definitely in the West, in putting specialty lenses um, into, you know, such a busy, you know, practice. Um, Roy is also a fellow of the Sclerolens Education Society. She has served on the fellowship committee. She's um, a fellow in the American Academy of Optometry and is a global speaker on various topics. So I've heard you talk on all kinds of things all over the world, you know, including modern treatments in ocular surface disease, treatments for the irregular cornea and scleral lens fitting. Now, the main event, where are we today? So about a year and a half um, years ago, so 1.5 years ago, it was actually, I, I, it actually took me by surprise as a colleague. I've, you know, worked with you in the past at that time, you know, we're friends. It was suddenly all of a sudden, like Roy and Patrick with no notice, no warning, just decided to pack up, leave this successful practice. You're, you had a house that you just renovated, um, beautiful place in Seattle, like living the absolute dream already and just moved to Costa Rica and opened a boutique style clinic. Um, what a wild, wild journey. So, okay, and I'm still sort of picking up the pieces of why on earth and, you know, what, what was behind that career change, Raya? You know, sometimes I still wonder that myself. Like, why did I do that? Why did we do this? Um, we, <laughs> I mean, we talked a little bit about this in the past, but like, honestly, burnout is real. We know it. Like if you read about, if you type in burnout every, without even typing, you open your email, every digest is talking about burnout in physicians. And I definitely felt it. I expressed it on the show in the past as well, just figuring out a right balance between life and goals. And while my goal wasn't to open a clinic abroad, my goal was to live abroad. We always talked about it. My husband and I, Patrick and I always talked about living abroad. And honestly, a vacation turned into like we saw an opportunity. And then it was partially like, a, just like a you know, when you come home from a great vacation, you're like, I love it. We, we should live there. And then the next thing you know, like we did our due diligence and we just were like, why, you know, how often people come, even now people come all the time. You're like, this is amazing. I wish I could do it. I think we're the type of people that once we say that, once we get in our head that it's something is we're unsatisfied with something, there's no reason to not just do it. And that's kind of what happened. What an amazing, I, you know, thinking outside of the box, that's the first thing I thought of when I heard that you're doing this. I mean, Roya, what a crazy, crazy change. So what about a, like a day in the life? So you, you know, I kind of can envision I've worked in the States, worked in hospitals. I have, you know, work at a private practice now in Calgary. I get the North American life. Tell us about a life in the day of Roya these days. So I want to hear kind of morning routine. I want to hear like just loosely how it goes in the clinic. Um, you know, sun, sunrise, sunset, you know, what are your, what are your general days looking like these days? So 
these days, really, it's more about, so, okay, so I wake up here in Costa Rica, it's kind of weird because we're so close to the equator that time changed like during the day, daylight time doesn't change, but, but by like 30 minutes year round. So it's kind of created a nice routine, like sunrise is around five, five thirty. So usually I'll get up maybe six ish at the latest, take my dog on a walk. We live a block and a half from the beach and it's the most gorgeous beach in the world. I've become very biased and picky about beaches now that I've lived around so many. So I take my dog down to the beach for a little walk slash slash stick throwing session <laughs> and then come <laughs> back, maybe get a little workout in myself, take a take a cold shower because it's so hot here and then head off to work. So we live about 25 minutes from our clinic. We live in a do city a, called Playa. Do you have a car or like a, like a we horse? Have, or like, like, right, we have a horse-drawn <laughs> carriage here. A donkey. <laughs> we have a car. We have a uh, forerunner, a Toyota forerunner. Okay, okay. Um, that it's like a 99 or something, like an older one, but it tried and true. We call him Vinny Verde because he's green. And he's truck for us. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you have to name your car, by the way. If you don't, like, you may as well just accept that it's going to break down on you. Like, not having a car name, I think, is disrespectful. But that's a whole nother story. So, anyways, we, 25 minutes or so from the clinic. In this city where we work, it's called Tamarindo. It's a tourist town, very small. Um, and honestly, we thought long and hard about living what is, what in... What does tourist town mean? What is tourist You town? know, it's a tourist destination, oh, tourist, right? tourist, tourist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard tourist, like Libra tourist. Tourist. Yeah, so I'm like, that's what? you, maybe. You're really bullish. getting wild now that you're on that whole, like, Costa Rica <laughs> It is woo-woo mentality. down here, but not that woo-woo. It's a little woo-woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, a tourist town. So <laughs> that people go there for town. holidays. Okay, Exactly, okay. yeah. So there's some, there's some hotels. Potato, potato. There's a lot of, like, restaurants and things for tourists to do but um we've lo- thought long and hard and it is a nice town to live and there's a lot of nice things you can walk everywhere but we just decided we liked it being quieter and coast- uh, the town that we live in is is quiet and the beach is gorgeous and it's less t- touristy and uh, so anyway we don't mind the drive and um, so then I, at the clinic, I am in charge. I'm the trainer in a sense. Like I'm an owner, not so much. I don't actually see patients directly. They're not my patients. They're our staff's patients. And I'm now kind of like an office manager in a sense. Not really, but kind of like I'm doing a lot of things like buying glasses. Picking out frames is probably one of my hardest jobs right now is learning how to buy properly, which sounds crazy, especially considering some of the things I've done before, but it's hard or managing social media. Like as a new business owner, it is hard. And if the better you do, you do get more clients. Like people will come in and say, oh, I saw your ad on Instagram. I keep seeing your stuff or I, someone pop their head in and they're like, they were just kind of standing outside our doors. We have glass window across the front. And um, I just kind of like waved at them to say like, hi, why are you staring at our office? And they're like, hey, I keep seeing your ads and I just realized this is you guys. <laughs> so anyways, the like managing that part is good. We're usually we have different business hours currently, depending on the day. So we have some early days where we open at seven, close at four, some later where we open at nine and close at six. But, um, you know, kind of do normal clinic things. I actually take an hour for lunch, which never used to happen before. And Luxury, um, it sounds I like. I know. And then the on... Business the, owning life looks good on I you. Know. It's still really hard. Then on the way home, if we, if we on the earlier days, we'll sometimes go catch sunset, um, go grab dinner, 
talk business. I mean, actually one of the harder things too in living down here is working with my partner. So Patrick, my husband is my business partner and really does all of the business side of things and figuring out the right way to work together and also like be a married couple is is just hard and different. So that's something we've learned a lot about each other and learned a lot from. Well, I can only imagine this is, I mean, for you and actually to be honest, Roya, from what I've seen, especially at Academy this year, I had no idea the level of academics you guys are doing out there as well, because you're probably selling yourself short a little here on the daily because your, you know, your staff or your fellow, the doctor at your practice was actually here in, well, not here in Canada, here in, here in North America for Academy where your office actually presented a poster. So you guys, you're doing like very good work out there, high level, bit of research that's clinical based, that kind of thing. I mean, it sounds like you've got a whole bunch of different things. Oh, and not to mention, I just remembered, just so I don't forget, because this is not in any of our, you know, topics we had kind of planned on talking about. I actually saw Roya a while ago, a post um, of you out in the community doing community outreach. So mm-hmm. whereas it sounds to me like your day-to-day report sounds very, you know, go for a walk on the beach, like I, you know, do my thing everything's going good. There's some extra stuff I've seen you doing that's really getting your business underway. And I want to hear more about that too. So, you know, what about, what about, how did you get into the community when you first landed? Who are your patients? Cause it sounds like there's a lot of tourists. Yep. Tourists, tourists. And so I'm guessing that you're serving maybe, yeah. Are you serving expats? Are you serving, you know, people that are just visiting? Are you serving, um, you know, Costa Rican, you know, people that have lived there their whole lives. What is your patient base like and how did you get out into the community so they knew you were there? Yeah, well, to start, um, generally our patients, I would say, are 60% non-residents. Well, maybe a little more than that. Maybe 70% non-residents, 30% Costa Ricans. Um, we have done a bigger outreach recently on getting more local Costa Ricans to come visit and kind of um, educating. Because I'll say actually as like a, a side, in Costa Rica, eye care is very different than what I'm used to in the U.S. Um, for instance, a general eye exam with an optometrist. There are optometrists. There's an optometry school in Costa Rica. A general eye exam in, in Costa Rica costs like usually like 10-ish dollars, 10, 15 dollars. And then they make most of their revenue on sales, like on glasses or contacts. So maybe we'll say if you buy glasses, your exam is free. So our exam costs $120. And that's a big shift. You know, people at first, if you just say the cost, they're like, why is it so expensive? But we're providing your full eye exam, you know, the comprehensive eye exam that we are used to being trained by, especially North American optometry school. So we're doing everything that you would expect. I don't feel like I need to list off an eye exam, but what isn't done in Costa Rica as a standard eye exam is a slit lamp examination, um, checking eye pressure, any sort of dilation, um, looking into the retina, you know, like none of that stuff. Most of an eye exam, quote unquote, if someone thinks of an eye exam that's from here, they think of basically auto refracting and a little refraction. And that's kind of it. So are you doing all those extra things at your practice and your eye exams? It sounds like you are because you're charging. 
Yeah, so now we're taught like our eye exam is a comprehensive exam. We'd say it's checking your refraction, check for your best possible vision, then checking the inside and outside health of the eye, looking for any eye diseases. So just exactly like you would expect. Dilation is kind of weird here. Optometrist legally, sort of, although I cannot find a law that says they're not allowed to, but they are told by their, you know, their uh, governing body that they're not allowed to dilate unless there's a patient who has a problem and then. <laughs> so it's very weird. So anyways, um, that is like a gray area so what's, that we, what's considered a problem. Then could you not just say they have, they have minus prescription problem. They had a headache last week problem. We got to dilate and look at that. You know, like what the, like basically we work with ophthalmologists locally. Okay. So like we okay. have resources and then yep. also we, um, it's a patient. If a patient comes in and says, I want my eyes, I want dilation in my eyes we can't deny them that, right? Like they bring in their own, whatever. We like, we find ways to make it healthy for the patient because really all we're doing is prioritizing. I think the problem is, and I think about this back in our schooling too, is if you don't know how to check for an angle being narrow angle, then how can you safely dilate the eyes? And I think that's where the, the problem comes up. So I don't, because most optometrists don't actually even have a slit lamp in their exam room here, then you can't check if the angle is narrow. And so you can't safely dilate. So now like I remember like early student, the number one thing I was thinking about, like I was even nervous working with technicians in the past because like, did you check for angles? Are you sure they're not going to get a, you know, angle closure <laughs> from dilation. Then as I, as you mentioned, I was working in an ophthalmology group and I would bring that up and they'd be like, so we'll it's just like, what are you it. talking about? Let's just right. do it. Like, it's best to do care. it here. It's like, right. I'd rather right. just figure it out that they're susceptible and just exactly. then we know and we can fix exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So like yeah. we were always so fearful as optometrists when really yeah. like it's still, it's still important to look. I still train our, our team to look, but, um, but either way. So um, now we provide a comprehensive exam and now it's been a one year officially, like as of this week, I, we have been opened, we opened right around November 1st and we have been open one year and it's been really fun to just kind of provide Aww. a resource to the community. And yeah, it's been really nice. And congratulations. And kind of, did you, thank you, did you do, did you do anything to celebrate one year? I should be sending you some flowers. I think I'm going to try. Do they, can I do that? Oh, I don't know. It's really tricky here. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Maybe I'll wait till you come out. Sometime you can, next you can time. bring next, them. Bring them when you come. Next lecture you do in in United States or Canada, I'll bring no, you. No, we can't wait and long. present it to you. I know. Okay, go. I'll send you flowers. I'll try. No, you come. Well, the con- congr- oh, oh, that sounds even better. <laughs> Congratulations! That's a <laughs> huge you. accomplishment because you know we all have colleagues that I mean, starting a practice cold is no joke. Um, you know that you really suffer in the beginning as a practice owner. Um, it's not something that I've had done. And so I have a lot of respect for all the things that you're doing out there. And furthermore, um, some of the community outreach, tell us a little bit about that. So what did you, yeah. did you and your husband, you and Pat went out, did you bring your associate with you? Good what question. kind yeah. of things have you done and how many times have you done it out there for like maybe community outreach? Cause I did yeah. see some things and I, as you know, Roy, I did a trip to Jamaica this year and did some community outreach that way and realized there, you know, in some of these countries that are behind North America, for example, there are huge underserved populations, in particular kids. Definitely. And uh, it really, it meant a lot to me to be able to put put out some skills that I have and also spend a little bit of time and some of my resources to at least pitch in a little bit in the, the bigger picture globally. Yep. Um, what's it like in Costa Rica on that front? I'll say that um, in Costa Rica, one of the bigger 
excuse me, one of the bigger groups of people that are underserved are actually a lot of the migrant workers that are here. So there's a large mm-hmm. population of Nicaraguans and Nicaraguans, probably the biggest population here that are especially underserved or just like um, just because they are some of them here legally, some of them not, some of them are here on, you know, whatever, different reasons. So they're underserved. So that's a big population that we've been helping aside from our locals. But what I'll say first, before I even go into that, number one, Patrick has like spearheaded a lot of these initiatives and he's created alliances with a lot of great, even local nonprofits. We work with a company called Sepia, which does amazing work in providing resources and healthcare to people who are uh, financially or socially or whatever in need. And so it's been a really nice way to connect. Our associate, our number one employee was Dr. Fabiola Hernandez. She's literally just transformed into this amazing, beautiful doctor that is, it's super fun because actually when we started, just like most people, most doctors in the US, you start a business, you're revolving it around your skills and your care. And as we moved down here and as we started figuring out how we were actually going to make this work, we realized that actually it cannot be the standard setup. We couldn't make it the way we wanted, what the way I sort of envisioned it. And so very early on, we had to shift and pivot and it became a training institute. And so Dr. Fabiola is our doctor. If you come in, you're going to be seeing Dr. Fabiola. I'm sort of the attending in a sense, but more so like I'm here to provide resources. One of the first things I had her do is read Will's eye manual, right? And learn how to recognize and co-manage and speak the phrases of, you know, like a little bit more advanced, not a little advanced eye care, right? Know when there's a problem, when there's not know how to find what's going on. Um, second employee we had is Millie Vado. She is our care coordinator, essentially. She does everything from front desk. More recently, we've actually had her train on microblading. She has done an amazing job in providing a new service line. But both of them have been just um, leaders in our clinic and especially connecting with the community. Because as I mentioned, our eye exam is significantly more expensive than what most people are used to. And so at first, as you can imagine from their perspective, it's sort of uncomfortable to talk about money and why is it so much more expensive? I mean, they see it, they know they've now experienced it. And so they see the value, but it still is weird to have to talk about money. But I went on that tangent just to say that With them, too, they're realizing that how much that we're trying to connect with the community and become a true, like, asset in the community in regards to, like, eye care has allowed, like, that is what's funding. Like, us being able to charge a normal rate, not hire someone to bill insurance, not, those are, like, things that people have to spend a lot of money on in their own clinic or a lot of heartache on where you charge whatever your exam fee is and you only get a percentage back from your insurance companies. We don't do that. It's all cash, cash pay, essentially. And all the money that we get helps us fund these community initiatives. So we like I said, partner with this nonprofit. We do an annual health fair. More recently, we've been going to different schools. So we've done a little private, a little public schools. We're providing free day of screening for all their students. And then anyone that falls in a high need category, we actually provide the exams like a full exam beyond the screening if they failed the screening and glasses for those students So we're doing our part. And then when people have some sort of, you know, strong reaction to why are you guys so expensive, we can just explain we have an eye to eye program for every eye exam. 
we give back an eye exam. So we've helped, I don't know, we put together a little infographic, but we've basically given away what's equivalent to about $45,000 worth of care within one year now, which is pretty awesome. Very cool, bro. That's that Wear is glasses, you should be very proud lenses. of that. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 cool. I mean, it's cool to be able to connect with community and provide something that is, you know, our level, our standard level of care, but is great for them and great for the community. And yeah, it's been nice. I think that's uh, I think that's that's absolutely fantastic. Um, no, and then what about on the other side of, so that, that's just, I I still can't even believe how quickly you guys have pulled this all together, to be honest, because, you know, for a new business, um, you know, to be putting yourself out there in that way to also start donating right away. I mean, it's, it's very, very cool. Um, no, are your associates involved when you guys go out in the community as well? Is it, or is it just you and Pat out there? No, actually we rope them in too. (laughs) The whole clinic, so the, the whole team doing sounds, it. I we love have it. a we have a new intern right now, which we're super excited about. Doctor oh, Daniela no um, just joined our team, so we just hired our second doctor as part of the team, um, and she's doing amazing. She like we realized um, from when we hired Doctor Fabiola that we had there is a pretty big difference in. Um, just the training that we get. So we're what hoping what we're to like, what our goal is, is like anyone who is associated with OSMR is associated with lifelong learning is associated with, you know, a lot of what I miss about um, the U S is that, and you kind of take it for granted for take it for granted. And it, it honestly, it's great, obviously in, in Canada too. I mean, look at you, you just went to the Alberta association event of the year. Right. So there is not that big community yet in Costa Rica. Like there is, and in the capital city of San Jose, there's an amazing community there where they do have regular CE events, CE style events. But we live about five hour drive from San Jose and there really isn't that much community. So creating that community, not only is fun to be able to like share your woes of daily care and patient care and things like that, or maybe review a, an ex, a hard, hard patient. They don't really have that sort of community, like even like Odie's on Facebook or things like that. They don't really have that down here. Um, but also it encourages you to just always provide better care to your patients, right? And it's exciting to learn. Even as we get older, it's exciting to learn about the new things and stay on top of things. And truly, it's really beautiful to see, especially the doctors that we are communicating with in our community. They want to know, like they want to learn more. They want these resources. And because they don't come to our area very often or really at all, like it's fun to be able to say like, let's do this together. Let's like make a community here. So it's like, what we always had, right? You, you know, those annoying dinners every other week or once a month within your local community. Once you don't have it at all, you realize like, I am kind of disconnected. Like I do kind of like talking with my colleagues about problems. So anyways, we're sort of creating that or trying to at least do our part in creating that. And uh, you know, that's, that's really, really cool. My, my experience definitely was very much that the local doctors that maybe didn't have some of the same training, like both ophthalmology or optometry, say for contact lens, for example, or whatever it is that you're talking about that day, retina, whatever. People are smart and people are excited and are willing to learn. So kind of bringing this all, I love what you're doing out there. 
It's really, really amazing. Um, what about, so academic wise, um, you know, I noticed, so you're, you're, you brought in a poster. Will you continue to participate in North American events with your correct, with your practice? Are you going to continue to encourage your fellow and your program to adopt, like to continue to contribute globally what you're doing in Costa Rica and what some of the cool cases that you're getting? Is this part of your initiative as well as to participate and kind of continue this and maybe grow that part of it? I would say absolutely. Just because, you know, Costa Rica is a small country. You guys have heard me say before that it's about the size of West Virginia, both size and population. And so when we are isolated and don't have access to, you know, all the bells and whistles like we have in North America, I think that there is nothing more exciting and motivating than being at a big international conference or, you know, American Academy of Optometry, for example, is so exciting to be at for everyone. Like even for myself, like every time I go to a conference, I'm like, yay, optometry is cool. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like exciting to be part of the profession and them, like the, our associates being able to have that experience, I think is just, you cannot say what it really feels like, what it really means to us unless you're there. And so it's not that it's the American Academy that's exciting. I mean, I have the benefit of being able to go and know what the experience is. And I just feel like I want them to have that same excitement for the profession, excitement for, um, you know, becoming a better clinician with life balance. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. You know, so, and but speaking of life balance, how's your social life? Have you guys, do you have friends there yet? Do you yeah. have, you, has your family been out to visit or are you, you know how when you like live in the same space, for example, I, some, some years I found that I saw my family just as much when I lived, you know, a plane ride away versus, you know, a one hour drive away. Yes. Do you feel, have you been able to have people out already and are people coming out because it's such a beautiful destination? Are you very isolated? Um, have you met friends already? So yes, I'm isolated. Yes, it's a beautiful destination. And yes, I've met friends. And yes, I've had family visits. So the um, it's kind of crazy because I did. I've lived in really cool places. Seattle's awesome. The Pacific Northwest yeah. in general, awesome. Portland, San Francisco. Like I lived in really cool places. But since I've lived here, I've had more people visit for more time than I've ever had. And sure, Amazing. it's Costa Rica. But like, I mean, even random things like recently, um, I was in the clinic. It was just a normal day at the office and in walks a doc that I haven't seen from a cat, like from, you know, just, I only see him at conferences and he walked in with his wife and son and was just saying hi and wanted to see and support. He just was there with his family and just was like, looked me up and, and came in. The he practice had, and just yeah, pop he, in as a little surprise. What a nice yeah, day. Yeah. Like he had asked, a lot of people ask, Hey, I want to plan a trip to Costa Rica. Can you give me some advice? And I have a prefab, like it's already made. So anyone who has questions, send me a message because I have a lot of good recommendations now. But um, I had given that months ago. In. I know, right? And it's good. I have it already ready. So tell me the type of vacation you want, where you want to see, jungle, beach, yeah, budget. Do you want to go fancy? You want to go less fancy? Like whatever. You have kids or not? But um, but yeah. Anyway, he had reached out like months prior. I hadn't heard back, and then he just showed up, and it was cute. It was really sweet. Amazing. But, but well, Roya, most people are expats here, so yeah. like. The, you know, in your normal hometown, once you already have your friends and you're an adult, like most of the time, I mean, even I had this opinion in the past too, is like, I was happy with my friends. I didn't need more. And I didn't really want to be social when I was out with anyone I didn't know with strangers, right? Like I had my people. 
versus here, people are so nice. Like, you know, they go talk to the person next to them on the beach or, you know, if you're at the bar, you're actually socializing with other people at the bar. Like the, there's a little hotel by us. We end up going and just like, you know, talking to the people who are there. And so it's, it's really social because people are trying to create their new form of community. And half the reason why this is considered a blue zone is because of the community aspect of it, like having a, a strong community really is better for your life and better for your longevity because that sense of community is important. So anyways, building that here has been easier than I would have expected. Um, we, as an example, we went to two different Halloween parties. Patrick and I were joking about like, we usually don't have multiple groups of friends and here we really have sort of built that up, whether it's among patients or neighbors or whatever it is. So so, yeah, it's interesting. You kind of have no choice well, when you move to a new place, but it is what it is. Also, very importantly, did you say you went to Halloween parties? I did. What did you dress up as? Okay, so we dressed up the, the first one as we went with tourists, not tourists, but tourists. <laughs> but then we decided to call it, <laughs> we called ourselves gringos because that's what we are. Um, so that was fun. And then, um, the second was less of a party and more of like a dinner, a birthday thing. And it was, we were um, hippies. Oh, that suits you guys. I there love are no, it. There's no Amazon to order stuff. So we kind of really so had to like to dig in our closet. You have to use your own clothes. You have to use your <laughs> I own clothes. I know. It's like we're, pull out your hippy dippy daily wear non-credit No, the best you can get. Perfect. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it was great. fabulous. Well, Roy, where where can we, where are we going to find you again in North America? So where what's what's up and coming for you? Anything left um, for this year? Maybe into the new year? You know, where are you going to be lecturing, and how can people find you? You know, luckily, at least for my in my opinion, um, the 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 conference circuit is mostly ending for the year. It's now getting into holiday season and all that stuff. So through the end of the year, I have nothing. I don't think I'm going to make it to GSLS sadly this year. I might have to skip a year. But next thing, actually, I'm going to be lecturing thanks to an invite from an extra special friend up at the Alberta um, event. Tell us about that event, Sheila. It's a ski CE, so it's going to be great. So it's, um, it's a brand new event for the Alberta Association, and it's really intended to, again, right aligns with everything you're talking about, promoting that strong community. You know, we we work hard. We play hard. Canadian Rockies are absolutely stunning for skiing and snowboarding and all the winter sports. And so the association has decided to up the ante a little bit this year, and we're doing a ski CE. So it'll be a lot of skiing and a bit of CE. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm very excited. It's going to be in Banff. So if anyone hasn't heard of it, like get out of that rock you've been living under. Um, Banff is a gorgeous national park in Alberta, right outside of Calgary. And they have a beautiful ski resort there too. So we're staying at the Fairmont Banff Springs, which is beautiful. I'm going to link it in the show notes. So we'll put a link if anyone's trying to do a ski vacation. It's going to be in March next year. Alberta Ski um, CE and it'll sell out fast. So to stay yeah. tuned. Stay good. tuned. Stay tuned. Well, thank you, Raya. Thank you so much for that. If anyone has any other questions, feel free to send us a message. I think that's it for today. We want to hear from you. So reach out to us for feedback, questions, stories, things you're interested in hearing from us, either through our Instagram or Facebook. We can't close today without saying thanks to our number one Valley Contacts for making great products and being amazing people to work with. And be sure and tune in and listen to our next episodes. But until then, try not to blink.